today talking about in this third week in our sermon series called The Fight of Your Life. We've been talking about the importance of the spiritual battle that we're in. Um, and I'll just do a quick review for those who haven't been able to be with us. The um, week one, we talked about the truth that many of us are, are surprised whenever we find ourselves um, afflicted in this life. As a matter of fact, you know, maybe the world at large isn't so surprised about suffering. Matter of fact, we inflict it on each other pretty much willy-nilly. We, we think it's almost a game. Who can you hurt the most? Um, but when you come to know Christ and the great forgiveness we have in Jesus Christ, all of a sudden you begin to think things should be different and things are going to be different. I'm going to be different and the world's going to be different. How I interact with the world's going to be different. And there's a season of life that's very sweet when we first come to Christ, I believe. Maybe you experienced it differently, but for me, when I first came to Christ, it was a very sweet period and we were just blessed, man, and it was so good, and it never stops being good, but then all of a sudden, hardship does come, and many Christians are caught unaware. They're like, what is this? You know, I thought I was just going to kind of lollygag into eternity, you know, I just thought I was going to roll the red carpet out, and it's just going to be this beautiful, wide highway straight to the kingdom of God. We certainly have the guarantee, but the road is difficult on the way, and we have a continual witness from Scripture of this fact. So week one, we talked about this idea that we are in a fight and I try to convince you of that that you and I are in a spiritual battle and that the battle happens in real ways in our life it's not this kind of theological theoretical out there somewhere unaffecting how we live battle but it's like real in our everyday life it's like this um this the, in the real most intimate most dangerous most hard places of your life the inner life the, the fight that you're fighting to um continue to be faithful you know um there's a verse the scripture says do not cease in doing good and it always surprised me because you know we love that verse because it says in the end uh it'll bring a righteousness of a harvest of righteousness right if you persevere this idea that yeah there's the blessing there but get this isn't it crazy that the bible says don't cease and doing good that there's this idea that for Christians you're going to want to stop eventually you're going to want to stop fighting you're going to stop being in the battle and the truth is that we are in the fight of our life and it matters so much more than us which sometimes the best of times our Christianity comes about us and it's hardly ever about God and his glory and the truth and the scale and the scope of the fight that we're in. So we talked about getting our defenses up, you know, realizing we're in a fight, not being blindsided by it, being prepared for the day of battle. And then last week we talked about this idea that um, uh, we have the... In, eternal Holy Spirit that's our guarantee of our inheritance and therefore every day we do these things we put on the armor of God and, and you know um, all, all the things we talked about last week that go with that and then we talked about <laughs> after you have the armor on we pray like make a way it's so funny to me that that's where that happens you know put on all this armor ready for the fight and then pray to God and as we talked about that's our offense our offense is to be using the equipment that God has given us and clearly in that instruction it is that we can put these things on you know it doesn't say they're gonna be automatically put on you it says put them on matter of fact there's other times in scripture where it says you know put this down and pick this up you know do these things Christians and you'll be blessed you'll have a blessed life maybe it's how we define that becomes the problem sometimes what is a blessed life but we ought to be doing that ought to be obedient um, to the word and then, and then today, uh, the, the third week and the final week in the series, the fight of our lives or the fight of your life, um, we're going to talk about what it means when you're done. You know, right? When you know you're in a fight, you're like round 12, you know? You've, you've got your guard up and you're just winded. You've taken some swings, man, and, but the enemy's still coming and you're just, you're tapped out. 
what, what is the final outcome of our fight? What is the final hope of our fight? And I'm going to make the argument today that, that our, our, our final position isn't about us at all. It's about the one that we claim, right? It's about the one that we reach out to. And this kind of all ties in what we talked about before about, you know, the day of your, your, when the day comes, you need to cry out. You would cry out to the Lord. I need a savior. I need a helper. I need a teammate. More than a corner. We talked last week about the Holy Spirit being our corner man, you know, telling us what's going on in the fight. We need, we need to tag somebody to get in the fight. So that's what we're going to do today. We're going to spend some time in the Word talking about that. Before we do, we're going to do what we always do. We pray. We don't pray because it's the pomp and circumstance. We pray because it's the only enduring thing we have, this relationship with Jesus Christ together. The only hope of wisdom, knowledge, understanding, perseverance uh, is through prayer. So pray with me if you would this morning. Father God, for the um, weight of your glory, we give you thanks and praise for the power of your word um, spoken and sang and believed and lived. We give you thanks and praise for the opportunity that you've given us to worship you wherever we are, wherever we happen to find ourselves, in whatever circumstances, we give you praise and thanks. And today, Father, maybe there are um, brothers and sisters, friends here who, who think that they're in a place they cannot worship. They, they can't find that for you, with you this morning. And I just pray that you make a way, that your Holy Spirit paves that path to their heart, that they could know, believe, respond, live, love, be changed, transformed, rescued, whatever's required this today, that they might know you more intimately. And Father, um, it's for your glory. It's not for us. It's not for our good. We are hopelessly lost without you, and we confess that readily. And yet this is not about us. It's about you and your glory and your namesake, the, the fact that you said you speak um, over your people and you claim them as your own. And so today, Father, we come to you as your claimed people. We ask that you would bestow us with your wisdom, your understanding. Would you strengthen us through your word, and would you um, just, just move, Father God, for your glory? your will, your plans, your namesake, your kingdom, your creation. Bring glory to yourself today, Father. We love you so much, and we thank you for the time we have together. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So we've talked about these kind of stages of a fight. And like I said already a little bit, today we're going to talk about when you're watching it, you ever seen one of those fights that's at the end and you're just like, someone has to do something, right? The guy you're rooting for just getting beat up, <laughs> you know? And the, or maybe the guy you aren't even rooting, you stopped rooting. People just stopped cheering eventually. This is just brutal. And you're like, someone stop the fight. Someone stop the fight. And many times, especially in the boxing tradition, the way you stop the fight is you throw in the towel, Right? Isn't that interesting, by the way? It's the same symbol that we have in, the, in a battle scene. I talked about maybe the calling this a battle of your, for your soul. Waving the white flag of surrender. We're coming out. We are not going to fight anymore. But I want to say to you today that there is no throwing in the towel in Christianity. There's no waving the white flag of surrender to the enemy who's come after us. That does not exist in the vocabulary of God. Not surrender. Instead, it's much more like something maybe you aren't as comfortable or familiar with, like um, WWE. <laughs> Anybody watch that? When I was a kid, we used to watch that. And when you were tapped out, man, when you were getting, you know, MMA anymore, you got to 
yep, I'm out, I'm done. But no, in, in, and it's a funny example, but in WWE, like, you reach, you know, you crawl over to the room and you reach. There's that guy that's coming out of the audience, you know, and he's going to bring a chair. You're going to reach for that guy. We're going to get this other dude in the fight. We got to get out of this. We're getting killed. And then you're watching, you're like, oh, it's good. And then they just barely touch, and boy, here comes the new guy into the ring. And that is the biblical model. Listen church to victory you see this journey of christianity is not about us being good enough or us fighting hard enough or us being equipped enough but it's at that moment whenever defeat is certain and everyone's going they should just quit now someone make it stop that we crawl over and we reach out for the one who is our victor the one who's our king the one who will finish the fight. And indeed, I would say to you, church, has finished the fight. I told you that this whole um, motive of the enemy, scripturally, I told you this, is not to um, make us have a tough life. And darn it, isn't it terrible that we don't get things our way? But the goal of the enemy is to get us to cry out, to worship, to plead, to reach for anything but God. Anything but Jesus Christ who died to save us. Anything else will do for the enemy. That is the goal. We started in this series talking about 1 Peter uh, chapter 5. And I want to turn there. You don't have to. We're going to spend some time in some other texts. But I want to turn to um, 1 Peter 5. And I want to read a few verses. I have them on the screen here. This is where we talked in 1 uh, Peter 5, 8. This is week one. We kind of talked about this. Um, be self-controlled and alert. Your enemy, the devil, here it is, prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to, remember, consume, to swallow whole. He's looking for victims. Then the second week, verse 9, resist him standing firm in your faith because you know that your brothers throughout the world, listen to the word, your brothers and sisters throughout the world are undergoing the same kind of sufferings. There's no suffering that's unique to us in our culture. There's no suffering that's unique to us in our affluence. There's no suffering that's unique to us in our freedom or our restriction. But the same kind of suffering is being experienced by all of God's people all throughout the world. So resist then the enemy, standing firm in the faith, and that's what we talked about. And then I want you to see verse 10, and this, will kinda, this is going to be the, the structure of this entire series and the point in the way today. And the God of all grace, Peter says, who called you to his eternal glory in Christ, after you have suffered a little while, will himself restore you, and listen to the word, make you strong and make you firm and make you steadfast. This is the goal of our faith, that when the battle is over, when the fighting is done, that God himself will rescue, restore, strengthen, and make us steadfast in the faith. Um, as a matter of fact, I'm going to read one more verse, which I didn't have on the screens, because this is the way uh, Peter wraps this up. Uh, to him be the glory forever and ever. Amen. That's what he says. Amen. To God be the glory when the battle is over, when, when we have done all we can and he's rescued us yet again. For God be the glory, the power forever. This is 
the ultimate goal of our faith. This is the ultimate defeat of the enemy of God and our, the enemy of us, the enemy that we have in our own lives. And then all of a sudden, now listen, I'm, I told you on this series, I want to be really practical. I'm praying, I've been praying for you, I'm praying for myself, that we would let God permeate all the little parts of our lives that we try to fight ourselves, right? Not the nice Christian stuff that we come in on a Sunday morning and say, oh, it's okay, it's fine, you know, I'm good. And we kind of gloss over all the little, you know, um, rust spots, all the little, you know, cracks and crevices of our faith, but that we, in our, in our real spiritual life church, that we get alone with God and we say, God, I want you to go in that deep, crazy stuff and just work it out in me. I'm gonna surrender to you in this process and I just want you to work through these things that you might be glorified and I might be made whole. I might be restored. And I wanna tell you that that kind of victory doesn't, it comes in those real battles in our lives. It doesn't come in some theoretical positioning. It comes in the fight. It comes in practical ways. So whatever it is, and I'm, I don't even want to start naming sins because it's almost like there's a hierarchy. There's no hierarchy, but whatever it is in your life that you really struggle with, I want to invite you to let God in that space today if you've never done it before and the days to come every day and say, God, I need you in this fight. I need victory in this area that you might be glorified and that I might be whole. These are the ultimate goals that defeat the enemy, that, that defeat his, his, um, his goal. Okay, so we're gonna turn to 2 Corinthians. Uh, you can turn there if you want, 2 Corinthians 7. And we're gonna spend just a few minutes talking about where we see some similar, sorry, I thought it, there it is. I might have pushed past you now. Go back one. <laughs> Thanks, guys, in the back. Um, so it's on page 808 if you use one of our Bibles. I'd encourage you to read it for yourself. Don't just be like, well, I went to church. This is what the pastor said. Check these things out. And, it, you know, today is enough time. So if this week, look at it some more and go, is that really what it says? Read the context. Read what he's writing about, you know. Know yourself what the word says. In first, in Second um, Corinthians 12, I have my marker in the wrong place. Second time. Verse 7. This is interesting. I, I, kind of this is hard to find a spot to start here, but, um, you know, Paul's kind of talking about um, the things that he is proud of and the things that he takes credit for and, and those kind of ideas, who he is in Jesus. And he's writing to the church in Corinth, as you know, for the second time. That's why it's 2 Corinthians. Second time we have recorded, by the way. There are probably letters that aren't recorded, preserved for us by the Holy Spirit, but these are ones that are. And so we have this um, battle and... I'm just going to start in seven, though. It says this. Uh, to keep me from becoming conceited because of these surpassingly great revelations, there was given to me in a thorn in my flesh a messenger of Satan to torment me. Man, right away, this is, this is one of those, it's a crazy verse of Scripture. Paul's been, Paul is one of the most prolific um, uh, evangelists, church planners, uh, disciple makers. I mean, he, he's one of those guys that he's like the Swiss Army knife. He can do it all, it seems, right? And it'd be easy, it'd be easy for us to put Paul on a pedestal, you know, um, many, many do, and almost like equivalent to Jesus, like, oh man, you know, Paul, Paul has such a unique part of his story, but here Paul says he's seen so much glory that it'd be easy for him to become conceited in what he knows. 
It would be easy to become conceited in what he knows. I laugh because this is one of the allegations that come against the church, including me, as hypocrisy, pretending. Uh, to keep me from becoming conceited because of these surpassingly great revelations he's talking about that he's received, there was given to me a thorn in my flesh, a messenger of Satan to torment me, Paul says, right? It came in, uh, verse 8, three times I pleaded with the Lord to take it from me, but he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you, my power is made perfect in weakness, and therefore I will boast all the more Gladly about my weaknesses so that Christ's power may rest on me. Paul, Paul says, there are these really hard things I'm going through. And I beg God to take them away. And he hasn't. And I'm going to boast in them so that the power of Christ might rest in me. Why? Because my power is made great in your weakness. I want to say one thing as a caveat before we jump into this text, you know, that this was a word to the Apostle Paul. And I think sometimes we do apply texts too liberally to ourselves. We're always the good guys. We're always the anointed guys or girls. We're always the people of God's favor. But I do believe that there's a model here where we see Paul saying, the right thing, I cried out to God in my affliction. I cried out to God in my time of need. But Paul began to have a mature understanding that the reason he was in this fight, that the reason that this would be done to him is so that he wouldn't become conceited in all the great things that God had shown him about the truth. Another word for not being conceited, I would say, is being humble, being, having a humility in our faith. You do not deserve the blood of Jesus Christ to be poured out for your sins. I do not deserve for the Son of God to give his life on the cross that I might be free and live with him eternity. I don't deserve it. And Paul knows that he doesn't either. And boy, is it easy to become conceited and say, thank God I'm not like those heathens out there. No, we have a great king and victor who pours out blessings that we don't deserve, who rescues us from sin that we rightly wallow in. And in that place, God is glorified. I want to make one more connection here for the Apostle Paul, that I wouldn't become conceited. Um, the, 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 the messenger of Satan is my affliction. It's a word that you're in a fight. Um, the, the, word, the, the story that comes immediately to mind for me, which we cannot recount, of course, is an awesome book of the Bible called Job. Job, a righteous man. Job, a faithful man. And Job, in his faithfulness and righteousness, begins to be afflicted by Satan. And the crazy thing about the book of Job is we get to hear the conversation that God has with Satan about Job, that God has with his enemy, and his enemy is the one who says, God, you're not the most important. I know better than you do, and I should be propped up as king, as lord, as master. And he comes to God and says, and it's you know, how about this Job guy? And, and, and God says, test him. He's a man of faith and righteousness. And you know that story, he'll go back to God several times. Well, it's only because he's not had really suffered yet. Let me go make him really suffer. Then he'll give in. See, there's a connection here when the Apostle Paul's talking. He cries out to God. My favorite thing about the book of Job, by the way, is that in the end, and man, maybe you're here today and this is you. You don't need to hear from pastor. You don't need to hear from a friend at church. You need to hear from God. 
right? I mean, Job, his friends show up and sit with him in the suffering, and that's good. But man, they start saying words that are not helpful and actually hurt, and they sound right. If you read it, it's good doctrine, but it's terrible friendship and affliction. And so in that moment, and it doesn't change until God speaks. And when God speaks, he speaks like this. Job, who are you? That's how he speaks to his faithful. What right do you have to claim to want comfort? Who made the heavens and the earth? Who spoke you into existence? And all throughout scripture, this pattern remains. God is God. And it's not a lack of love, but it's true fidelity and love that he would say, I'm God and you're not, and it's my grace that'll be enough. My grace is sufficient for you in your suffering. And Paul gets that. I cried out three times, and the Lord took it away. Nope. I cried out three times, and the Lord said, my grace is sufficient for you because my power is perfected in weakness. When the fight looks like it's over, and when you have nowhere to turn, the Lord's Glory is made known among the nations. Uh, this is over and over again the model that we see demonstrated in the history of the people of God. This is the model that we see. Paul says then, because of this knowledge that those inner areas, that thorn is flesh, that inner area of rot, that thing that he cannot overcome, he boasts about those things so that Christ's power can rest on him. I love the imagery there, right? I love that imagery. He keeps me humble that the power of the Lord might rest on me. I heard a story about someone talking about an effective Christian witness. And they said, you know, I could explain the hypocrites that pretended to be okay and they weren't. And I could explain the people who were outside and just didn't believe and they were just a hot mess. But I couldn't explain the people who were humble and believing, who acknowledged their brokenness and yet believed and proclaimed the gospel. And that was the witness that for them was effective. Someone like that, I understand. Maybe you've had that experience in church life. I have. When I came to church as a non-believer, I could explain some people in church, but there's people I could not explain. I could not explain them. And then you start to think, man, maybe me. This can't be for me. Maybe me. You're a son or a daughter of the Most High. That's not for me. Maybe. Maybe me. And we have... This glory of God revealed when we're humbled and sometimes through affliction and sometimes through a fight. I want to encourage you, church, stay in the fight. The enemy wins when we quit. The enemy wins when we quit so that Christ's power might rest on us. Paul says this, that is why for Christ's sake I delight in weaknesses and insults and hardships, and persecutions, and difficulties. Because every time I'm weak, he's strong. Every time it's too much for me, it's the perfect amount for him. Every time there's no other way forward, God will make a way for his glory. And it's only our fear that will be abandoned, our fear that we left on the shore, that we, um, that we doubt it. But if there's anything that's true of God, he has never given us reason. He has never given us just cause to doubt him. Not really. Not in real life. So we can let him into those 
hard places of our life. Uh, I want to share with you from the Gospel of Matthew. We're going to finish the series in the Gospels here. Uh, Gospel of Matthew, there we go. Chapter 11, verses 27 through 30. These are words from Jesus. And I love it. He says these things to his disciples when he's still with them when he's still hanging out, right? There's so much that you go back. Can you imagine the conversations? You know, it's like the man, were, were, were our hearts not strangely worn within us? Were we not listening to what he was saying the whole time on the Sermon on the Mount? Was anyone paying attention? Did anyone write that stuff down? Because here, while Jesus is with us, he says these words that later we need to hear, we need to, to know. And this is what the word says, start in verse 27. All things have been committed to me by the Father, by my Father. No one knows the Son except the Father, and no one knows the Father except the Son, and those whom the Son chooses to reveal him, who? The Father. So Jesus is saying, I reveal the Father to who I want to reveal the Father to, and that's the right of a son. I can choose who gets to know Dad. That's the way that works. And everything that Dad knows, I know. There's an intimacy, right, that he's proclaiming here. And then after proclaiming this intimacy, this all things have been committed to me by the Father. I have all, it's kind of like Matthew 28 in a way, right? Now all authority in heaven has been given to me. And after setting up that table, that, that, that uh, responsibility or that dominion, this is what he says. So come to me, all who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Isn't that interesting? I have all authority everywhere. I know the Father. The Father knows me. I choose who I build my Father to. So listen, are you wore out? Are you ready to quit? Throw in a towel, tap out? Come to me. That's what Jesus says. Come to me. It's like the standing invitation on the cross. Come to me. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me. A yoke, we talked about this before, is like a, 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 a thing for, you know, donkeys and ox, <laughs> you know. It's a thing you get strapped into and you pull. You, there's things to do. But what does he say? Take this yoke and learn. So there's going to be some burden. Because I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest, listen, for your souls. Enemy promise things he cannot deliver. You're going to get fulfillment. You're going to be satisfied. You're going you're gonna to be like, ah, oh, I've arrived. I've made it. No, Jesus says, you come to me and I will give you rest for your souls. You, you take my yoke upon you and, and um, follow me and I will give you rest for your souls because my yoke is easy and my burden is light. You see, the, this idea that Jesus invites us in the middle, you need a break, you need a, you need, and by the way, can I just say something else? Jesus' yoke, I don't know who's in the other half. I always think of this like, you know, me and another brother or sister kind of pulling on the yoke together, right? But <laughs> it's his yoke. I, does that mean Jesus is in the other side? I can't imagine if I'm yoked with Jesus, my feet are like dangling in the air. You know what I mean? He's like, we're going to pull this wagon up the hill. You ready to go? I'm ready to go, Jesus. You know, and I'm doing like the cartoon thing, you know. And he's just like, you know, that's Jesus. Why? Put my yoke on. Go with me. I'm your victor. I'm your king. I have proclaimed God's favor over you. We talked about last week. He said, I've, I'm, I'm going to go ahead of you so I can prepare a place for you. I'm going to send the Holy Spirit back to you that you can come and be with me. The counselor is going to tell you the truth about this in this life. Man, if you're burdened, if you're weary, Jesus is ready. He's ready when we're weary.
you come to me. And then the last thing I want to, we're going to wrap up here with this John chapter 10. This is also a tie-in. We, we talked John 10 early in the series as well. John chapter 10. Just a little refresher. Um, Jesus is telling us he's the good shepherd, right? Um, 14, I am the good shepherd. I know my sheep. My sheep know me. Just as the Father knows me, and I know the Father, and I will lay down my life for the sheep. This is his promise. Like, I am the good shepherd. I'm going to give my life for the flock, for the sheep, for Israel, for those who God loves, for those who God desires to save. But we're going to pick up here in verse uh, 27. 27. This is what Jesus says, and later, after he talks about that kind of, you know, knowing him and he's the way. 27. My sheep listen to my voice. I know them and they follow me. I give them eternal life and they shall never perish. No one can snatch them out of my hand. My Father who has given them to me is greater than all and no one can snatch them out of my Father's hand and I, am the, I and the Father are one. So here Jesus is talking. I want to kind of walk through that a little bit. But I, I, um, my sheep listen to my voice, he says. My sheep listen to my voice. I know them and they follow me. I want to say those are, th- those are both really good news. Uh, we say to you all the time, church, and I mean it, and I hope you understand it. There's nothing hidden from God in our lives. We needn't worry that he might find out our sin we, we needn't cur- cower in the corner. Oh, that he might reveal to the, you know, he, he might come to know, not reveal to the world, but come to know himself, the sinner that I am. Because what Jesus says is, I know my sheep. He knows each and every one. He knows the tendencies. He knows the ones that wander off, the ones that are dumb as a box of rocks, right? The ones that get stuck in the, you know, I'm stuck again, Jesus. And he's like, I'm coming for you, man. And he comes over and jerks you up and takes you back to the crowd. You know, he knows our tendencies. He knows our failures. He knows our, 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 just our disposition. And then he says this, and my sheep follow me. I know him. You ever, you ever heard those, um, like a bell on an animal? It's like the most annoying thing to me ever, you know, but you know they're following you. Clang, 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 here they come, <laughs> you know. Uh, these are, how, how, can I just t- take a minute and say, how awesome is it that we're his sheep? Uh, he doesn't say, I know the sheep. I know those, I know my sheep. They belong to me. And that sets up what's coming next, which is this. No one has the power to snatch them from my hand. No one can do that. I grant them eternal life. My sheep will live forever and they will never perish. No one can snatch them from my hand. I hope that you believe that today. All the schemes of the devil, all the desires of the world, all the brokenness of culture, all the lamenting of all things ain't like they used to be, nothing can snatch us from the saving hand of Jesus Christ. I hope you have assurance in that. I hope you believe that. Not on our strength, not on our prayer life, not on our studying, not on what we know or don't know, on him, the word says, based on the one in whom we believed. Do you remember that? Not based on what we believed, 
not based on how we believe, based on the one in whom we believed. That is Jesus, the Christ, the Messiah, the anointed one, the Son of God, the Son of Man. This is the one that our faith is rooted in, and therefore, we are his sheep, and it's very personal for him. So all of a sudden, you get it? You're just a sheep. I know that's kind of like a slang thing now, like sheeple. You know, oh, look at all the sheeple. Following the table, following the pastors and the churches. Sheeple, don't be a sheeple. Be a free. You know what I'm saying? And then you've got a God who goes, yeah, those are my sheeple. You're going to mess with them. Like, not church, not like God. My people, my sheep. I'm the shepherd. I gave my life for them. No one can snatch them from my hand. That ought to put to rest a whole bunch of fears at the end of the fight for us. Right in the middle. No matter what happens, Jesus is right here. Tap. You're in. No matter how big or small the problem is, Jesus is right there. Tap. You're in, Jesus. No matter how much we need to understand about what's happening, the Holy Spirit's right there, right? God the Father's right there. Everything within arm's reach. I need you. Come save me. I'm over my head again. In my weakness, I boast that your glory, your perfection, your power might be made known, that Christ might rest on me. Verse 29, my Father who has given them to me is greater than all. I don't know if your Bible's like mine, I have a little footnote that says, uh, earlier texts say, what my Father has given to me is greater than all. I, I'll take either one of those translations of the Bible. <laughs> my Father is greater than all. I, you know, I'm the prince of the kingdom. My father is, the, you know, it's his place. I got full rights, all the keys. Or my father has given me greater than he's given anyone else. What is that? The right to forgive sin, the right to pardon us from the eternal death that we deserve, um, the right to set and intercede on our behalf, all given to Jesus Christ. And then he finishes by saying, I and the Father are one. This church is our final hope. And I hope, I hope that you've heard this before. I hope you've heard this before. All of a sudden, it's not about the size of us, the size of our fight, but the size of the God who fights for us. Hope you've heard it before. One of my favorite stories, um, okay, I'll be honest, all the Bible stories are my favorite stories, really. You know, I apologize for that if that's weird for you, but uh, they're so good. And sometimes we just kind of make them all cutesy and safe or whatnot, you know. One of my favorite stories in the Old Testament is David and Goliath, right? David and Goliath, you know David and Goliath story? I like David and Goliath story because it's been ruined by nursery rhymes and cute little children's books. It's been ruined. At best, at best, you know that he put a bullet in somebody's head. At best, at best. My favorite part of the David and Goliath story, I'm actually going to turn there. I want to read it to you because I think it's key. I've, I've been making the argument to you that this is nothing new, that what God has been doing, he's been doing all along. It's all about his glory, all about that he might be made famous. We know David and Goliath more than we know the God of David. That's the truth. We, we know more about David and Goliath and the little man can beat the big man and all that stuff more than we know the God that stood for David. And that's, that's not good. That's the way we turn that story. Um, 17, uh, 
You can look it up later if you want. It's 1 Samuel 17. I'm just going to read this, though. David said to that Philistine, that giant, that murderer, that ma- and the one who mocked David, who is this puny dog before me? <laughs> you know, I was telling, we went out and watched some high school football. Man, I walk around those boys. They're a big guy. I call them boys. That's almost, you know, that's not even true, right? I'm a man. And I'm like, hello, fellas. <laughs> you know, they're huge. You can imagine David, this small shepherd out there. By the way, interestingly enough, in his backstory, he had put on the armor and took it back off the king's armor didn't quite fit he's like I don't really want that stuff I'm just gonna take these slings we know the story right and a couple rocks and it'll be fine um God but listen to what he claims this this little man oh come on church says to the giant before him you come against me with the sword and with the spear and with the javelin but I come against you in the name of the Lord Almighty the God of the armies of Israel, whom you have defied. That's a warrior's heart. Not, I'm going to show you what I'm going to do, but man, I'm coming against you in the name of the God that you're mocking because we belong to him. We are his people. This day, David says to the giant, the Lord will hand you over to me and I will strike you down and I will cut off your head. I have never seen a children's book written that way. I haven't seen it. Today I will give the carcasses of the Philistine army to the birds of the air and the beasts of the earth and the whole world will know that there is a God in Israel. This is not about David's power. It's not about David's might. It's not even about David's courage facing an enemy. This is about him believing that there's a God who will not let it happen. Why cut off his head? Because that's what he threatened David with. He said, I'm going to kill you and cut your head off. And this little man said, no, I'm going to kill you and cut your head off so that everyone knows that God is who he says he is. And you know what he does? He kills him. We know that, right? And then he goes over there and he takes the giant's sword and he proceeds to brutally sever his head. It's, inc- it's crazy that it's insane. It's insane that it's in there. And then he carries it around the land and says, this is what the enemies of God get. That. It's the scale and scope of the fight. It is for the glory of God. It is for his renown. Victory in scriptures, throughout scripture, is always, listen to me, always rooted in who God is and in his power. It's always rooted in the glory of God and what's due to him. It is not about us and it is not about our lives being comfortable It's about a God who is real, who has spoken, and who is going to see things through to the end. That we would have that kind of faith in our own lives. I had a friend of mine who was a believer, radically converted through a deacon visit, which you don't hear much of anymore, and recently, pretty recently. But after becoming a Christian, he began to have this problem. And the problem was that he kept smoking I want to say to you today, if you're here and you're a smoker, I'm not mad at you. And this is just his story. This isn't your story. So don't build it on. But this is, I want to tell you, no problem too great or too small. He kept trying different ways to stop 
And there was a Sunday where he was in service and he was praying and he was before the Lord and that, that's something he chose to do. You can choose to do it today. When we worship, you can choose to be before the Lord or just hanging out with people. And he's before the Lord and he's going, I'm so tired of this fight. I'm so tired of this battle. I can't do this anymore. And you might go, it's only smoking. What's the big deal? But for him, it was a huge issue. It was a huge issue. And you know what happened? He quit. He quit. He didn't even tell anybody right away he quit. He just quit. And then as the weeks went by and he really noticed that he really had quit, he noticed what had happened. And this is his testimony. He said, the Lord took the taste from me. He didn't externally come in and say, you have to stop, you have to stop, you have to stop. Whatever your struggle is. Like we talked about some of those things, you know. Um, I hate to even bring them up again, not because they're sin, but because I don't want to get stuck in those details. But you know, whatever it is in you that's got that hold in your life that you might feel like externally God doesn't want for you and you don't even maybe want it for yourself, but in that moment that God didn't say you're going to stop and that's what's going to happen, but he took the taste away. And I think that could be true for any spiritual struggle we have and all struggle is spiritual. Lord, take the taste away. We can do that. And I just want to share it with you because I think that there's this kind of spectrum of things. We go, oh, this is not a big deal, right? Yeah, it's a big deal because you're a child of the king. You're a shepherd of his flock. And the, the battle is a battle of the enemy. Lord, would you take the taste away for whatever it is today? So I'm not sure where you are today. I'm not sure where you are in the fight. I'm not sure what you're struggling with. Uh, I'd be glad to talk to you about it, by the way. If you want to ever talk to someone, and I can tell you a couple things. Um, God help me, but I mean, I will be safe, and I'm on your side, but I don't want any of us to fight the battle alone. And so if there's no one else you feel like you can talk to, give me an email, give me a call. I'm not special, but I'm available. And that's one of the things that comes with being a pastor is I have time. And so if you need to meet up and talk about something you're struggling with, don't go it alone. Don't go it alone. We love, and if it's not me, if you're like, yeah, I'm not comfortable with you, though, find somebody else. Find somebody in your life who's a believer. Invite them in, right? Prayerfully pray, God, would you show me someone that I can share this with, that I can walk this out with? But how's the fight for you today? You know, are you right there at the end? You need to reach out. That's where we're going to end. I just want you to know that that's the fulfillment of our faith, is that the king, the champion, is available all the time. Our final act, our final act is reaching out to Jesus. Um, yeah, I love that Paul used that analogy in the scripture. He says, uh, I fought the fight. I finished the race. I've kept the faith. What's that mean? At the very end, he's like, just my faith, Jesus. Just my faith. Pray with me if you would. Uh, Father God, uh, we give you thanks and praise for who you are. And, and everything that you've bestowed upon us, it's too much to even put into words. Uh, the creation of the universe, the sin-soaked world, the enemy who has fallen and who would desire that we would fall as well. A son who would come and love and teach and show, demonstrate, and then give his life that we might be free. A blood poured out for an atonement that was too great for us to ever pay. And not just for any one of us, but for all of us. Available to every person who would repent and believe good news. Father God, we give you thanks for that truth. We give you thanks for the Holy Spirit that seals us for the day of redemption. That on that final day, what stands is the faith. And it's not a faith that is ours, but a faith that you've given us. It's another gift we did not deserve to even believe. It's not a, it's, we don't deserve that. Father, if, if there's those here today who have not yet believed, I pray your Holy Spirit will compel them to believe. 
that you would rescue them from sin and death. Father God, for those of us who continue to struggle with those thorns in our sides, with those areas that we're afraid to let you into, I pray we would have the courage to let you in, that we would have the audacity of the name of Jesus Christ. We have the audacity of the name of Yahweh, the God who created everything to say, I'm gonna trust you and let you in, that the world might know your glory that the world might know there's a God in Israel, that the world might know there's a God who loved us so much he gave his son that we could be free, even us, sinners that we are. Lord Jesus Christ, you, 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 your magnificence is beyond words, and we owe everything to you. Um, Father, our desire is to see all the glory of the earth return to you, the moon, the stars, we sang about it, you know, Father, but really, let's just start with our own mouth. If we can't convince everyone else, Father, anyone else to give glory to you, may we, may we with our own effort, our own lips, our own breath, give back the glory that you deserve from our hearts, from our minds. And may we find a way to live in that place with you, the Holy Spirit. You're so good to us. Would you bless your people for your namesake? Would you, um, if I got friends here today who I'm sure, I'm sure on that shore and the water's before them and their enemies behind them and they're like, oh, there's no way. Would you right now, Father, make a way forward for them in their hearts? Would you show them how to move and what to do to bring glory to you and their salvation? Would you move in their hearts in that way? And Father, for us, as we continue to follow you, may you be glorified um, in everything we do, uh, success or failure, um, I hesitate to even say it, but obedience or sin, would you do that for your glory? For your glory and the good of your church. And we will always sing praises to you, bring glory to your name. We pray in Jesus' name, amen.